Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, starting 2020, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I'm delighted to start a new year with you on the podcast. I have some surprises in store for you this year. Uh, We're making some changes and some improvements, but we're not going to move away from our core mission, practical issues related to ministry leadership. Even though occasionally uh, I go off on a tangent and preach a little bit on the podcast, and certainly I do some Bible teaching along the way, I want to keep the focus of this podcast on addressing practical issues, uh, day-to-day issues, uh, the ebb and flow of ministry leadership in churches and organizations. So today, I want to talk with you about a subject called natural-born leaders. Some time ago, a good friend of mine, who's also a prominent Christian leader, said this, A person either has leadership ability or doesn't. You can't teach a person how to lead. Well, obviously, I do not agree with that statement. I have spent a good portion of my life teaching leadership in one capacity or another. I teach it, of course, here at the seminary in formal curricular classroom-type situations, but I also speak extensively in conferences and seminars, and I mentor and write. I obviously believe that people can learn how to lead, how to lead more effectively, and can learn some principles and skills and, uh, and uh, practices, best practices, that facilitate leadership. But my friend does make a valid point. Some people are natural-born leaders. God wires up some people with greater leadership capacity than others. Now, I've seen this up close and personal uh, with my oldest son. My son is, by every measure, a natural-born leader. This emerged early in his life, but it crystallized for the first time when he was in the first grade. We went to a parent-teacher conference. We're sitting in the little chairs, you know, like you have to do in those kind of classroom settings. And the teacher said, "Uh, I've taught first grade in this room for 23 years, and your son is one of the most remarkable young leaders I've ever had in my first grade classroom. He's already the leader of our class after these first few weeks. And then she said, and someday he'll be the president of the high school when he graduates. Now that was amazing that she would make that kind of prophetic statement when my son was only six years old. But guess what happened? Well, you know, when he was a senior in high school, he was elected uh, president of the student body of a about a 2,000 attendance high school. And then it happened again when he was in the fifth grade. Uh, he was uh, scurrying down the hall one night at parent-teacher conference, when, and I was standing there in the hallway having a conversation with the principal when uh, Dan, the principal, turned to my son and said, Casey, and Casey stopped in his tracks, and he said, hey, check your box. There's some information you need in there for tomorrow. Casey said, yes, sir, and went on around the corner. I turned to the principal and said, Dan, my son has a box? He said, yeah, we put a box in the teacher's lounge with his name on it. The school just works better when he knows what's going on. Well, a natural-born leader. Uh, He went on to play college football, and when he was being recruited to play quarterback, uh, we went to some different schools for recruiting visits, and uh, one coach just very plainly said, I see your tape, I see you've got some ability, but what I want to know is, do you have it? In other words, when you walk in the room, does everybody know a leader has arrived? 
Well, my son had it in some capacity. He played small college, uh, as we like to say, very small college football. But nevertheless, he had that leadership spark that motivated a coach to want to offer him a scholarship uh, to play football and be a leader in his program. So there's no question that some people are gifted with greater leadership capacity than others. God puts them in puts that leadership capacity in them when they're born, and it emerges early in life, and they are able to cultivate it and use it throughout a lifetime. You know, I had a similar kind of experience when related to my public speaking ability. I'm often asked how I learned to speak, and am I nervous about speaking, and how do I maintain such a, an aggressive public speaking ministry? Well, the first time I spoke in public to over a thousand people was when I was in the sixth grade. Our city had a citywide choir festival, and all the elementary school choirs came together and put on this big program. And there was about twelve to fifteen hundred people that came to this high school um, auditorium to hear this citywide program. Well, uh, they wanted some student to be the moderator to come out, introduce each program, each uh, choir, tell a little bit about their school and the songs they were going to sing, that kind of thing. And by some means, uh, I got asked to do that. So I remember standing off stage just before I went on to introduce the first choir. And my teacher said to me, Jeff, are you nervous? And I remember looking up at her and thinking, now why would I be nervous? What is about to happen that I don't know about that would make me nervous? It never entered my mind to be nervous about walking out in front of a large crowd of people and talking. Now, the only way I can, uh, only thing I can say about that is God wired me up. He, he put it within me to have the capacity to stand up in front of people and talk. And as I've said on a number of occasions, I'm usually more nervous and more uncertain of myself when I'm leading a committee meeting with six or eight people and I'm trying to make sure everyone is heard and everyone gets their say and everyone is participating. I'm usually more stressed about that than I am speaking to 600 or even 6,000 people, which comes much more naturally to me. So God wires up some people with natural leadership ability. He puts something in us that we can't really take credit for. We, we didn't develop. Uh, we, we just have it. And I'm thankful that God does that for some people. Now, the question is, is this always a good thing, or are there some inherent dangers for these natural-born leaders? Well, not only observing my son, not only observing my life, but also observing a number of other people that I think fall into this category, I think there are two dangers that we have to be on alert regarding related to being natural-born leaders. The first one is this. Natural-born leaders have a tendency to trust their abilities rather than trust God to work through them and through those abilities. Let me say that again. Natural-born leaders have a tendency to trust their abilities rather than trust God to work through those abilities. Most natural-born leaders know the pain of going through what I will call a breaking experience. When they come to the end of trusting themselves and submit their leadership abilities to God for his purposes. Now these breaking experiences can take different forms. Sometimes these breaking experiences relate to the function or the performance of ministry. Sometimes these these breaking experiences relate specifically 
to a talent or an ability that we've been given that we're trusting too much. Sometimes they're unrelated to those abilities or talents or even to leadership. They can be related to a relationship or a health crisis which, which, which humbles us and reduces us uh, to a fresh dependence on God. Now let me be transparent on the podcast today and talk about uh, two or three of these in my life. The first one relates back to my abilities in public speaking. As I said, God gave me those abilities, and I'm grateful for that. My first sermon was very well received. In fact, I was astounded at the reception. I preached at a Baptist church, and I gave an invitation at the end of the service, and a significant number of people came forward, some to pray, some to make new commitments. It was really a, a remarkable experience of preaching my first sermon and seeing God work through me, uh, to cause life change to come about in the hearts of many of the hearers. Then that, in, that experience resulted in a second invitation. I was invited to go to another church and preach my second sermon. Now, I decided to prepare an entirely new sermon for my second sermon, and so I did that. Studied my text, prepared my message, and thought that I would go there and show them what a really great young preacher looked like. Now, before I went, I wasn't fully aware that my attitude was so prideful, but after I got there and had the experience I'm about to tell you, you'll see that it was full of, my attitude was full of pride. So I go to preach my second sermon, and I stand up, and I preach it, and I preach the entire sermon in about 12 minutes. And I realized as I got to the end that they were expecting more than that. I didn't know what else to do, so I re-preached the sermon a second time. But this time, it took a lot less time. It only took about eight minutes. And now I've been talking for 20 minutes, and I've said the same thing twice. And I'm embarrassed. I'm humiliated. I can tell that people are frustrated because... Uh, they don't really know how to help me and don't know really what to say about what they're hearing because they're just hearing me babbling on. I've now been through the message twice. And so I did what uh, I can only describe. I can't really explain. I decided to, well, fill up the time by preaching the message the third time. The third time I went through, it took about half the time as the previous time, so about four minutes. And by this time, I'd been standing up there about 20, 25 minutes I'd preached everything I knew. I had preached it twice. I had preached it three times. It was humiliating. I gave an opportunity for response, and no one responded at all. Well, I closed the message time with prayer and sat down, and the pastor who'd asked me to speak got up and tried to make some comments to salvage this disaster of a message I'd just preached. It was really embarrassing really embarrassing. So after the service, they had a little reception, a little fellowship time, and I stayed for that. But I was so mortified, I just wanted to get away from there as quickly as I could. And so finally, I did get out to my car. And I don't remember the exact words, but I remember praying and just confessing my pride and apologizing to God for how arrogant I was going into the message and how presumptuous I was about how much I knew my material and how much I had to say and how transformative it was going to be and all those kinds of things. Well, the most interesting thing happened after that. No one else asked me to speak anywhere 
for a year. For a year. God just propped, put me on a shelf, uh, closed off all opportunity, and let me think about that experience that day. Now, since that day, um, I've preached some bad sermons, I'm sure of that. But I don't think I've ever preached a sermon that was as full of pride and self-sufficiency and trust in myself as I did that day. I, almost 40 years later, have never forgotten that second sermon and the breaking experience that I had that night. I've never forgotten my pride, my arrogance. I've never forgotten my self-sufficiency, my presumptive attitude. I've never forgotten that experience. And because of that breaking experience, I have in a fresh way submitted my speaking abilities and gifts to God and asked him to empower them in whatever way he chooses and to give me whatever opportunity he chooses to speak wherever he's pleased. This is one of the reasons I've had a policy all these years of accepting invitations based on my availability and my suitability for the event, not on the size of the church or the location or anything like that. If it's a suitable subject that I feel that God wants me to address, and if it's a place or a time on the calendar when I can get there, um, I try to say yes. Because I don't want to be that person who cherry-picks the best places or tries to presumptively determine where I should go and where I shouldn't go based on uh, how big the audience will be or how much they might pay or how much influence or notoriety I might gain by, through social media by being there. I just don't want to be that guy. So my breaking experience not only changed the way I approach preaching and teaching and speaking, but it also even shaped the way I consider invitations and how I determine where I go and who I, where I speak and what I try to say when I'm there. That's one breaking experience. Let me tell you about another one. When I first started out in ministry, I, I had a lot of interpersonal struggles. Uh, because of my upbringing and a lot of things in my past, which I don't really need to go into today, but um, I, I just came to young adulthood with a lot of dysfunction relationally. Quite honestly, I just didn't know how to work with people. I got angry far too easily. I was too judgmental and presumptive about people's attitudes and their perspectives. I, I was far too caught up in my own agenda and in my own way of seeing life. And then God, in his beautiful providence, sent me to my first church, which was in every way the antithesis of who I was. I was sent to a relationally driven church where being family and everyone knowing each other and taking care of each other and meeting each other's needs was very significant. And they expected their pastor uh, to set the pace in this regard and to be an example and not to meet every need, certainly, but to create a fellowship or an environment and even a ministry structure where needs were met and interpersonal needs were highly valued. So here I was with this great deficiency uh, intersecting a church that had this as their greatest strength and their greatest expectation. You can imagine what happened. Train wreck. The first couple of three years I was there, were very difficult as I fought and resisted any change in this regard. But around my fourth or fifth year, uh, something started changing within me. And that 
that came about through a number of circumstances or a number of, uh, of streams, I guess, of influence flowing together. I was involved in a good doctoral program. Uh, my wife was becoming more skilled at helping me to see some of these deficiencies. I had some church members that were unrelenting and pointing out my need to change. And not only that, but praying for me and supporting me as I tried to change. There were a number of streams that were coming together uh, to help me see the need for change in this area. But it was a breaking experience when I finally had to admit that I was the problem. Uh, it wasn't the church that was the problem. It wasn't the people that was the problem. It was me. I had some significant interpersonal deficiencies that, again, were rooted in my upbringing and some of the dysfunction of my family of origin. I had to address those issues, come to grips with them, face up to them, and make some really intentional and hard changes about how I related to people. That was a second breaking experience in my life that helped me to understand that I had to come to the end of myself and really remove some of the liabilities that were limiting some of these natural-born abilities God had given me, and I wasn't going to go forward until I was able to do that. And then another breaking experience in my life happened in the mid-1990s when I was diagnosed with cancer. Now, a lot of you have heard that story before, and I've, I've written about it in The Painful Side of Leadership, one of my books, but I'll just summarize today and say that I was, you know, in the prime of life, 35 years old. I went in for a routine insurance physical. I didn't have any symptoms at all, but through that physical, I was determined to have cancer. I had to have two surgeries and go through a series of treatment protocols, and particularly the second surgery was a very, very difficult experience. I remember that second surgery that night, uh, feeling so lost and so alone and so helpless. Uh, I remember through the night trying to pray, and I, I couldn't remember any, any prayer prayers. I, I, I couldn't even really voice anything. My mind was so addled, and I was so discouraged and depressed and just, just discombobulated, really. I, all I could pray was this one prayer, God, get me through to the morning. God, just get me through to the morning. And then while I was praying that, I kept trying to remember Scripture. And even though I've memorized Scripture over the years, I couldn't remember anything except this one verse, weeping lasts for the night, joy comes in the morning. And so I spent that night alternatingly quoting my one verse, weeping lasts for the night, joy comes in the morning, and praying my one prayer, God, get me through to morning. God, get me through to morning. When the morning finally came and my body was starting to settle down from the second surgery and things were starting to work again, we won't go into all those details, but when things were, were starting to be a little more clear in my mind and, and my physical health was starting to, to stabilize just a bit, I was able to pray a little better. And I remember praying a prayer like this, God, last night it got down to just me and you. My education didn't help me. My church couldn't help me. Not even my family could do much for me. My abilities, my talents, my training, none of it mattered. Lord, last night, it got down to just me and you. And Lord, I found out that you're enough. You got me through the night. Now, since that time in the mid-90s, I've been through some excruciatingly difficult leadership challenges. Uh, moving the seminary, of course, was one of the most visible ones, but there have been some private things I've had to deal with that never made the news and couldn't be publicized. Some really challenging situations that left me feeling alone and hurt and struggling. And in those moments, I tend to go back to that night in 1994 when I prayed that prayer, Lord, 
Last night it was just me and you, and I found out that you're enough. And that breaking experience that was related to my health crisis brought me to a fresh awareness of just how much I can depend on God and how sufficient he is through every difficulty. So natural-born leaders, and I have to put myself in that category, natural-born leaders who are given some gifts by God in speaking and influencing and thinking about leadership, natural-born leaders have to avoid the danger of trusting their abilities rather than God to work through their abilities. And the way that God seems to work to bring this transformation about in our lives is through what I call a breaking experience. Sometimes they relate to our abilities, like the one I've described about my sermons. Sometimes they relate to our deficiencies, like the, ones I've des- like the one I described about my interpersonal relationship struggles. And sometimes they can be just health or relationship related in such a way that God breaks us and humbles us and gives us a fresh dependence on him that then spills over into expressions of leadership. One very capable young man that I mentored told me this, until I learn humility, it seems God won't use me to my maximum capacity. That young man was right. What he didn't fully understand was that humility is often learned through failure through one of these breaking experiences I've just described. And so natural-born leaders have to come to the end of themselves, the end of their abilities. They have to learn humility and submission to God. I'm reminded of Moses in the Bible. You know, Moses had a staff. And there was an occasion in Scripture when Moses was told to throw down the staff and then pick it back up. And the staff symbolized his authority, his power as a leader. He threw it down, relinquishing it to God, and then he picked it up, and it was transformative in his life from that moment forward. So if you're a natural-born leader, you have to throw down the abilities God has given you, put down the talents and opportunities that he's bestowed upon you. You have to be willing to give those things up and then pick them back up again, trusting that God will empower them in ways that would have never been sufficient had you not been through those experiences of breaking or failure that caused you to come to understand how to break out of this tendency to trust your abilities rather than God's. Now, a second danger for natural-born leaders is neglecting training and leadership development. They They rely far too much on their intuition and their inborn talents as leaders. Now, If you're a natural-born leader, I'm grateful for you, but I want to encourage you that you still need training. Natural-born leaders can still learn best practices of leadership and have their leadership skills honed and shaped over time by processes of training. Obviously, one of those could be to enroll in seminary. I am a seminary president. After all, I want everyone to enroll in seminary. But nevertheless, that's not the only way you can get training, and it's maybe not even the lifelong way that most of you are going to receive training. If you're a natural-born leader, I would encourage you not only to get some formal training, but also to do several other things. First of all, develop a reading program that really addresses the comprehensive aspects of leadership, including the areas where you're weak or deficient or maybe not so natural-born. So be aggressive and intentional about a reading program that will help you. I am almost always reading some kind of leadership book. 
And not all of them are all that helpful. Not all of them uh, apply every, in every way to me. But there's hardly ever a time that I don't read a book that I don't pick up something and say, wow, that is something I really need to learn or need to put into practice or need to shape up in because that's an area of life that I'm not really that strong. So a reading program is a good way to shape even a natural-born leader. And another thing to do is to find a mentor. Find someone who will tell you the truth. Someone who will look you in the eye and say, you know, this is a strength of yours, but you really need to address this issue, or you need to address that issue, or you really need to consider how God might want to work through you to really hone this strength and make it something that he could use in even a greater way for his glory. So a second danger for natural-born leaders is neglecting training and leadership development and relying far too much on our inborn talents. Now, if you're a natural-born leader, I'm glad. But I also want to challenge you to not be overly dependent on your intuition or your gifting or your perspective on leadership, but to recognize that you have a need, just like everyone else, to be trained, shaped, and developed. You can do that through formal process of training, like a seminary, but you can also do it through a reading program, uh, through developing an, a, a mentoring relationship with someone who will guide you and confront you. You can also, of course, do it through conferences and seminars and, hey, even listening to a podcast like this one. But just because you're a natural-born leader, don't presume or assume that you don't need a consistent, ongoing leadership development process to shape and uh, sharpen the gifts that you've been given. Now, let's talk about one last thing before we wrap up the podcast. What about those of you who don't consider yourselves natural-born leaders? Would you say, well, <clears throat> I guess there's just nothing for me then. You know, the natural-born leaders, they're the real leaders, and the rest of us, well, we're just doing what we can. No, that's not true at all. You may not be a, quote, natural-born leader, but you probably have some leadership gifts, abilities, talents that God has wired within you, and those can be enhanced through training and development and through the process of improvement that I've been describing. Uh, sometimes I put it on a scale. I say, you know, God gives very few people a 10 on a scale of 1 to 10 of leadership ability. Sure, he wires up some, some people as 9s or 10s, and we're grateful for that. And they tend to become CEOs, and they become presidents of companies, and they become the politicians who lead us, and we get that. We're grateful for those. But what about the 4s and 5s on that leadership scale? People who got some leadership ability but maybe didn't get all that much natural-born leadership that maybe some other people got. What about you? Well, let me, have, let me give you some good news. God still wants to use you. In fact, God specializes in taking people who have some leadership ability, yet not yet fully discovered or not yet fully developed or not yet fully uh, uh, used by, uh, by others. God specializes in picking people like that and elevating them uh, and using them in remarkable ways. You see it in the Bible, guys like Gideon, David. I mean, these were not well-known people. They were unknown people. They were people that were least likely to be selected for leadership, and yet God said, I want you. I see something in you. I want to pull it out of you, draw it out of you, put you in a place of leadership that will develop you into the person I know you can become, and I'm going to use you in ways you never imagined. So if you say today, well, I appreciate all this help for natural-born leaders, and I know a natural-born leader, and I'm going to encourage them to listen to your podcast and put into practice what you're talking about today. But I'm not one of those guys. Don't disqualify yourself from being an effective leader. You've been given some leadership abilities. Now, allow God to enhance those through training and development, but also, now get this, allow God to 
draw out of you even more leadership capacity than you believe you have by placing you in leadership responsibilities. You know, if my wife were on the podcast today, she'd tell you this is her story. When we started out in ministry leadership together, she would have said, oh, Jeff's the leader. He's definitely a natural-born leader. He's a very gifted leader, and people are going to follow him. I'm not a leader. I'll just work here in the shadows. But God said, no, that's not the way it's going to be. And God started thrusting my wife into leadership roles early on in her Christian experience, and now he's thrust her into roles that she could have never imagined for herself. She speaks and teaches and writes and does things she would have never imagined doing, even as short as a decade ago. But as she has been thrust into these leadership roles, God has drawn out of her capacities she didn't even know she had, shaped in her abilities she didn't even know she had, and given her a capacity to trust him to do more through her than she could have ever imagined. So, yes, God wires up some people as natural-born leaders. But people who get maybe lesser leadership gifts or lesser leadership abilities, they are not disqualified from leadership. When God, God can also use them by developing them, shaping them, and then sometimes placing them even in leadership roles that draw out of them more than they could have ever imagined they would be able to give. This is part of the adventure of leadership. So if you're a natural-born leader, beware of the dangers. Be careful that you don't trust your abilities instead of giving those abilities over to God and asking him to empower them and work through you to accomplish his purposes. If you are a natural-born leader, be alert. God may lead you to or through one or more breaking experiences in your lifetime to break your dependence on your abilities and to break your dependence on your own strength, power, and insight. God will break you and then use you in ways you may have never imagined. And then beware of the second tendency, and that is to trust your inborn abilities and talents and not think that you need training and development and lifelong growth as a leader. Even though you may have inborn abilities that others don't have, that doesn't disqualify you from the need to continually be growing in your capacities as a leader. But if you're not a natural-born leader, good news for you. God still wants to use you. He'll use you by shaping you and developing you, and then he'll also use you by placing you in leadership responsibilities that will draw out of you perhaps what you didn't even know he had put in there in the first place. Well, we start this new year, natural-born leaders and those who are just progressing in leadership. But either category, we thank God for how he's made us as we lead on.